This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. To left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game. Brewers Unfiltered continues live from Cincinnati. It is episode 13 of Brewers Unfiltered. Good morning, good afternoon, whenever you're listening to us. It's Sophia Minert, Adam McAlvey, and Tim Dillard joining you for another episode. And guys, we are recording this um, before the series finale here in Cincinnati. The Brewers are currently on a three-game winning streak. They've won the first three games of this four-game series. Kind of an odd wraparound series. Um, mm-hmm. Starting here it's on a Friday. It's completely screwed me up. Right. I can't even process what day it is. We can't. We <laughs> don't know what's happening um, we were talking about this. I'm not sure we've ever had this kind of wraparound series, especially against a division opponent. We've had a weird schedule here in Cincinnati. We're a little lost, but we're going to do our best to get through this. <laughs> well, we're doing it without Ezra, too, our fearless leader. He, he is otherwise engaged. So we are flying blind. This is going to be the weirdest podcast. And we're all going to cross our fingers that everything we say is still valid when you listen to this. Because there's going to be a game in between, which never happens so what will happen monday night none of us know let's all predict and then, <laughs> <see> <laughs> and then be completely we wrong yeah well as we're as we're starting this podcast and wrapping up this road trip um it's been a very eventful week for the team uh three games in toronto dropped that series won one of those three games there in toronto we we had a great time though did a lot uh, did some great walking, went to the CN Tower. Um, there was a lot of roster activity in the Toronto series as well. And then we've come here to Cincinnati. And I think, guys, kind of the theme of this road trip has been contributions from unexpected places and some great comeback stories. And I think specifically here in Cincinnati, it's been John Singleton and his return to Major League Baseball after eight years and it was also on the nine-year anniversary of his Major League debut. So, like, a true full-circle moment um, for John Singleton. And, and, Adam, I know you've done a lot of writing on just his backstory. And it's been a long, winding, complicated, challenging path for him to get back here. But here he is, um, again, because of another injury, unfortunately, to Darren Ruff. But it opened the door for John Singleton. Yeah, look, and... You know, John Singleton paid a heavy price for a crime that we look at, I would argue, differently than it was looked at at the time he was suspended for marijuana use. But look, those are the rules. He knew them, and he freely admits that he had a problem, and he talked to us about that, really opened up for the first time when he came to the Brewers minor league camp. Um, During the MLB lockout, it was a chance to meet some of the guys and really get to know them while the you know MLB was doing its business and, and there was no big league camp. So he is a really just a fascinating story. Uh, went almost eight years between major league games. And look, 
if, if you guys had to guess, what is the, I looked this up or someone sent it to me. I didn't look it up myself, obviously. What do you think is the longest gap between major league games? If you had to guess the number of years between playing a big league game, then not then coming back, what would you have? What would Singleton was almost eight years. What do you think is the record? 10, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's a good, that's a great guess. I was going to say nine or 10. I just can't imagine that. I'm just thinking physically for a player. It can't be much longer than that. 22 years. No. What? That is 100% true, according to our incredible MLB research folks. And um, if I were good at my job, I would have the name, but I don't. It's early. And it was 19, I know the years, 1923 and 1945. And I need to go uh, do some Googling to figure out the backstory. But, you know, there's other players than like Satchel Page who came back. Minnie Minoso came back, but in his 60s. Um, so sometimes there's quirks like that, but yeah, 22 years between games. That's incredible. And, um, we'll use a robotic voice to add in the name right here. If we have that technology, <laughs> nope. but, um, it's, it's a really cool story. Um, Christian Yelich, uh, on Sunday was just sharing the story. He's like, you know, me and big John were teammates before Brewers teammates. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said in 2007 in SoCal, um, John Singleton is from Long Beach. Yelich is obviously from the LA area and they, the Brewers had a scout league team. Um, they have these area code teams that fans may have heard of, but this is a little different. It's a team that would play in the fall, good high school prospects. And the Brewers field a team with like hand-me-down unis from the Brewers that had like holes torn in the pants that they'd sew up and pass down. And Corey Rodriguez, this great longtime Brewers scout runs these teams and Yelich and John Singleton were teammates. Uh, wearing Brewers uniforms at like 15 and 16 years old. So here they are all these years later, a great, a great comeback story. And really uh, Singleton just determined in his head, he opened a gym during the pandemic of all times, um, got back in shape and just had it in his heart that he still had baseball left in him and credit to him for making it happen because that's not easy. The way Yelich put it is to do what he did. You have to really love baseball. And I thought that was a good way to describe it. Well, I, I mean, I know it's a credit to him. I guess I look at it a little bit like the support system that's around him. I yeah, mean, but starting with his wife, who he yeah. talks about a lot. Yeah, family and friends. And listen, the baseball life is hard, especially in the minor leagues, and you're not going to get through it by yourself. And to go that long and then to get back to the big leagues, that is, that's a victory all the way around for everyone he's come in contact with. Everybody in Nashville the last couple of years uh, just – there's certain people in your life that come into your life at certain moments that get you to the next step. And you don't even know who that person is. Um, You could say that about life in general, but definitely in the baseball world, it could be a coach. um, It could be a family member, uh, a friend, but you need these people strategically throughout your life. And uh, there's no way he would have made it back here had there not been people um, that have stood up and gone extra for him. And to get into the game, I guess he got in at 18 which is super hard. If you've been around long enough, you see the guys that come in in the draft. You can tell if they're out of high school. You can tell they're out of college uh, just by maturity factor. And then you're in the big leagues with this huge pressure contract at 22 years old. Uh, That's a difficult thing. So, yes, it's been a long, windy road. And for him, you could just see his joy. And for the fact that he's uh, accomplished this, and it's always been kind of in his head to do that, 
Uh, you need guys like that in the big leagues. They're fun in the clubhouse. They are. They're just, they have a story and they are a resource that anybody can come to. It doesn't even have to be a young guy. It could be anybody in the clubhouse can come and talk to John and just pick his brain about different things because he's experienced so much in his baseball life. Yeah. And I think like the reaction of those around you is also very telling. And, you know, hearing him when we spoke to him um, Saturday morning in Cincinnati, when he, when he was finally got to join the team and, you know, the, the call to his wife, Lindsay, and she's bawling her eyes out. Right. And, and his kids, Mason and Steele and what they mean to him. And he said it just totally changed his perspective. Right. Of he had maybe been distracted or deterred or had been dealing with these you know personal demons away from the field that he had to get right. And that that just kind of gave him some clarity. But then, you know, Adam, you had a great story, too, about when Rick Sweet got to tell him in the middle of a tie game in the ninth inning (laughs) um, in the triple a game and the reaction from the other players in the dugout and like the commotion that they caused. And then when we got to talk to, you know, guys like Andrew Monasterio and Bryce Terang and Blake Perkins, like Blake Perkins described him as like, he's the fun uncle. Like he's the guy that keeps things loose and he'll talk to you about anything. And he's an open book. And, to me, that's so telling about how people feel about him, too, and how much, like, to your point, Tim, the support system, right? How much people are rooting for him. Like, I love hearing that stuff of just, you know, how happy they are for somebody else. Um, I just think it's so cool. A fan actually tweeted me and said, thank you for writing the story because I was at that game and I wondered why the game stopped. <laughs> like, I wondered what was going on. And, and Rick Sweet's seen a lot of minor league baseball games. I, this, I think this was the first time that the game actually paused because the one dugout was screaming so loud for a player uh, who just got called up. And the way Rick Sweet put it was John Singleton was sort of like the center. I, he's almost like the son of the Nashville Sound solar system for the last couple of years. He was always the player that everybody else revolved around. And Sweet describes like being on the road at a hotel, you'd go downstairs to the restaurant and there'd be John Singleton sitting with a, at a table with six guys. Then he'd get up and kind of work the room and like go talk to four guys over here and these these young prospects. And it, uh, he says he was just that. He's the guy who puts his arm around other players. And I think that's partly why the reaction from the teammates there and the Brewers guys who played with John in the last two years was was so oversized yesterday. So, I mean, look, that hopefully for, for John, find some success up here. His at-bats in his first couple of games are just what you'd expect. Great eye at the plate. He hit like a 5,000 foot foul ball <laughs> in the, was it the first game? Um, man, that would have been a cool moment. So, you know, hopefully he gets into one because we, we saw, we got to see it in, in spring training and that, that minor league camp, but the last couple of springs, uh, when he gets into one, it is so easy and it is different. Like it explodes off the bat in a different way than you see other players. Well, I, I do want to add too is so the first time he gets called up to the big leagues, he is Uber prospect, signs a contract, you know, on the roster. And not to say that it's expected, but it's kind of like, eh, the first time I got called up, I'm in Nashville, I'm on the roster, and I have a one ERA and I'm throwing 96 miles an hour. Like eventually that combination, if you continue, it's going to start with, hey, you're going to get to the big leagues. The second time you get called up, 
the second time I got called up was I was off the roster. I had just learned sidearm and I wasn't doing that great. <laughs> and I got called up. So you look at Singleton the second time around here. He's not on the roster. He was actually taken off right in the offseason. Once yep. he was added, then immediately taken off. He's on a road trip. He's in the middle of the game. The last thing he's thinking is this. The last thing that there's so many other things that are going on that have nothing to do with getting called up. And then it happens and then you get called up and you're just like, it's it's even more special if that's even a thing. Like you just people love that story because it gives hope to every single minor leaguer. It gives hope to everybody out there playing going, I don't have to be on the roster. I don't have to be doing the best out of everybody. A need is a need. And if you're the guy, uh, be ready for that to happen. So that's just super encouraging all the way around when you hear these type of stories. I, I would just add one more thing, too. I think there's a lesson in the John Singleton story about baseball in general and prospect development, because John Singleton is like the prime example in the last 10, 15 years of the ultimate can't miss prospect. Um, he was the first player to get a multi-million dollar multi-year contract before playing a major league game. The Astros signed him uh, to a five-year deal. And I mean, he was absolutely can't miss and he missed. And if you, if you make those decisions and the timing isn't right, it can have long-term uh, impact on a player. So there's a lesson there about the the patience sometimes that it takes in developing some of these super prospects and why teams make decisions when they make. And I'm not saying teams do it right. And all the fans who want, you know, a super prospect called up today are wrong, but I think it's just a warning sign of like what can go wrong if the timing is, isn't right. And a player is not in the right headspace to make that really difficult jump. Yeah, and I think that's why we talk about that with player development, right? Is like every player's story is so unique. Um, it's and we know a, a tiny sliver of a it. A tiny sliver of it, yeah. A tiny sliver of it. And even on the player development side, whether it's drafting amateur players, whether it's signing international players, like they do their due diligence, they do their homework, they think they're getting all the right information, right? And then it's like you still just don't, no. <laughs> and sometimes there's just a lot of real time learning and growth and maturity and development and all real life experience, right, that comes along with with all of that. So, yeah, I do think it's just it's a great personal story. It's a great professional story. It's a great baseball story. Um, and I, I we still don't know kind of what this chapter is going to look like for John Singleton. But I hope no matter what, like just getting this opportunity is rewarding for him. And I think he's he said as much, you know, in, in the, these past couple of days of just how grateful he is, how like validating this must be, right? Like that this was all worth it. Like he he got his opportunity. He made it he made his way back. Um but I mean, this this road trip has just been kind of full of these stories, right? Because, you know, as back at home, Willie Adamas, right, his injury, he goes on the IL they bring up Andrew Monasterio, and what a great first week in the big leagues he's had. Um, great defense, great at-bats, the three-run homer <laughs> yesterday, um, Sunday in Cincinnati. And then Blake Perkins gets a second stint. He joins Bryce Terang as one, two of five players to have their first career home run be a grand slam. You know, gets his first RBI, gets a grand slam, um, 
puts up a huge number offensively for the team. Um, and then uh, Abraham Toro also called up. He hits a home run in Canada, his home country, in, in the Toronto series. I mean, we've just had all these great... I mean, yes, the injuries have been a huge story for the team this year, but the players that are coming up, it is a credit to them that they are taking advantage and they're delivering some really impactful big moments for this team and, and how, most importantly, helping them win games. Well, I think in particular with Monasterio, I'd... You know, if you as soon as you got called up, you're thinking, okay, if, if Willie bounces back really quick, he's the easy send down. And that's just what you thought. He got there. It's like, okay, well, then it, then you start seeing what he's doing. He's on a five game hitting streak. He's only played in six games. <laughs> he's hitting for power. He's making ridiculous plays. That game that, or the backhand that he made up the middle from second base, the second out of the ninth inning, I think game one against the Reds, uh, in, in the eleventh inning. That was a big deal, and he made it with such ease. So now you're thinking, okay, if there are going to be moves coming up, this guy has proved himself vital. And it, that's really hard to do is to make that good of an impact that quick, and, and Monasterio's done that. He gets in good counts. He makes the pitchers pay when he gets in good counts. And I think the trickle effect has kind of happened. I think I think you're starting to see other guys in, in really good counts started start to have better at-bats. I feel like there was a couple weeks where – you know, they would get in a, someone getting a three-one count, and it kind of didn't come to fruition. And then all of a sudden, Monasterio, every time he's in a good count, he gets a good swing off. So, anyway, I, 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 he's a fantastic player, and uh, he's made an impact right away. Well, we've got to see him in spring training the last couple of years, and you can just tell a guy who has kind of like big league defense just kind of looks the part out there, and that's what he did. And I think that's kind of what they thought he was. And credit to him, a guy who's played nine pro seasons – to come up and surprise with the bat, that's hard to do. And Craig Council said it after Sunday's game that I did not know Monasterio had a homer to dead center in him. Um, <laughs> no, it's no offense to Monasterio, just certain guys have that kind of power and certain guys don't. So he's surprising uh, them. And, I mean, he's also a very cool baseball story. Signed really young uh, with the Cubs, I believe. And then, you know, Nine years in the minors, beginning, uh, you know, in, at a Latin American complex, that's a long time to, to play. And the the player, the, the Reds player, Will Benson, who kind of knocked him out in Sunday's game on that pickoff play, is a former double-A teammate in the Cleveland system. So Benson felt really bad that he, that he hit the guy in the face and Monasterio <clears throat> had to leave the game. But, I mean, um, uh, we put these videos, and Sophia, have you guys had him on TV like Monasterio, have you aired his interviews? Uh, yes, when we yeah. when he made his debut, and then um, I think yesterday, I think we made we got it on for post game. If not, we'll run it yeah. today of him. Uh, yeah, because we we've talking about we've the put, hit in the face. <laughs> yeah, and he like we've I've put some in our in our stories too because he's just a delightful guy. Like I hope fans kind of get to see him and hear from him and. You know, as you alluded to, and I know we'll talk about this, the Brewers have some pretty notable infielders about to come back. So some roster moves are going to happen, but um, he's put himself now in this rotation to, to definitely contribute to the big league club for the rest of this year. And that's a huge credit to him and in itself a, a great baseball story because that's a long time to play in the minors. Yeah, he signed in 2014 with the Cubs. He's bounced around a little bit. Cubs... Nats, Cleveland, as you said, uh, with the Guardians, and then last year joined the Brewers um, for the 2022 season. But this road trip, you guys, 
Seven hits for him. His average is 438. The three-run homer yesterday, as you said, to dead center. Even he said, he said, I didn't really think I had that in me either <laughs> when we <laughs> talked to him after the game. Um, and he's made starts at, at shortstop and at second base. Um, so he's he's definitely having a great week. And, and he does remind me a little bit of Willie Adamas with just like he seems like the ultimate just happy to be here guy and plays with some real joy and always has a smile on his face. And um, I just thought it was so sweet, too, when we talked to him after his first hit in Toronto and he said he was going to give the ball to his dad, you know, of just like it was his first hitting coach. And um, yeah, just just a very, very sweet moment. And we've it just feels like we've had a lot of those kinds of moments here on this trip. And one of the reasons that that I've enjoyed watching him play is it's not it's not always, you know, flashy per se, but it's what does a guy show you? Like, what's his gut? What's his grit? And that play where he got basically palmed in the face by Benson and, take, and eventually taken out of the game, the inside move from Adrian Hauser and nobody's really covering. It wasn't really a set play. Uh, but he did catch Benson leaning because there has been nine stolen bases the day before. And so Hauser doing right, making sure he keeps an eye. And then he goes, he throws it. And just the angle of what Monasterio was coming in, it was a really tough angle to try and get a tag. Benson made a great slide as well. But Monasterio could have made a decision at that moment and say, you know what, can't really make a tag on it. You kind of do the, the, the college try and kind of whiff at it and be like, ah, we didn't get him. But instead, Monasterio goes to the complete opposite direction and dives into Benson. Like, that right there shows you all you need about a player. He doesn't care. We've seen Joey Weimer try to run through a wall for a baseball. That's the, that's, that's the exact same thing here. I mean, I can't believe that he just decided to plant and dive to try to get this out. Um, you almost feel like, oh, everyone should do that. But he knew it was going to be a tough tag. He knew it was going to be a very small chance to get him out and then did it anyway. I mean, that's just... You got to give props to the guy because it's just not scared, willing to take a punch to the face to try to get an out. <laughs> and guys, while we're while we're talking about comebacks, I feel like we do have to spend a moment on Julio Tehran, uh, who has also made his return to Major League Baseball, um, an All Star um, in in the past, and he has spent the past two years out of the big leagues, um, pitching in the Mexican League, pitching in AAA. They had acquired him from San Diego just out of need um, with all the injuries to the starting rotation. And he has delivered two really good starts. And I do want to preface this. We're recording this before he takes uh, the mound here for his third start, the series finale um, in Cincinnati. So don't blame us for whatever happens tonight. But he's coming off (laughs) of. (laughs) I know. Don't blame us. I put it out there. Um, But he's coming off of a really interesting start. First of all, a win in Toronto. Um, allowed a run, an unearned run, but also zero walks and zero strikeouts, uh, which is like unheard of in today's game. But I think he's given them two really solid starts here to to start his tenure. Another guy for me, um, watch his interviews. I hope you've seen his interviews. Like wh- what a what a cool story. Um, a guy who appreciates this opportunity. A very different pitcher. I mean, there was a seven-year run where he's on a very short list of the best right-handed pitchers in baseball, and then injuries happened, and it's, it was you know almost two years or more than two years, I think, between big league starts, and he's a different pitcher. 
It's not the power that we saw when he was in Atlanta Brave, but uh, got it done in his first two outings. And, I mean, there are all of these guys that have pitched for the Brewers that where you go, where would they be without? Where would they be without Bryce Wilson? Where would they be without um, Elvis Piguero lately? Um, and I think Julio Tehran in his first two was one of those guys because, like, who's who would have made that start? Um, and it great, you know, credit to him and, and credit to the Brewer scouts for, um, you know, finding the right guy. It takes a lot of looking too. who's available, who's going to fit into their rotation, who could pull this thing off. And I think finding Tehran like 226 starts for the Braves. So he's got the experience. So then he goes through his time in independent ball, Mexican league, and I've been in some of these places and you're not always on the best mound, right? You don't always have the best surface. You don't always have the best strike zone to work with or the best baseball and or the best infielders, <laughs> the best infielders, the best defense behind you. And so now you fast forward his last, you know, his first two starts here with the Brewers and he is, you can tell he feels comfortable out there. I mean, I know what it's like standing on a big league mound after being in a really bad mound. It's just, it's like sleeping in your favorite bed and having your favorite pillow and the perfect time of day, and it just like it just fits, and you can tell because he's pitching right to contact. Like Sophia said, no walks, no strikeouts last time uh, versus the Blue Jays. Gave up four hits, three of them were extra base hits. Pitched right around him and kept going. And to me, that right there just shows a guy with a wealth of knowledge, wealth of experience, and knowing how to just out experience the other team. And that's what I've seen in his first two starts. It's been really fun to watch because I'm right there with him. I'm like, I wonder what he's going to do right here in this sequence. And it's perfect uh, because I think he's just this wealth of knowledge that he can drive from that a lot of people just can't. So anyway, we'll see what happens tonight. I, <laughs> I'm I can't wait to come back and listen to this and just <laughs> yeah, yeah. go after you yeah. guys. What were you thinking? Good <laughs> Lord. I, I, but I think what like, I think his story also falls into the category of like, you have to really love the game exactly to do what yep. he did of, you know, I mean, he came up, he made his major league debut with the Atlanta Braves when he was 20 years old. I mean, that's just, he's still, he has all this experience, all-star seasons. Um, and he's still just 32 years old. Um, but I mean, to, to work his way back and in independent ball in the Mexican league to pitch in AAA, you know, I mean, you're betting on yourself so many times. And I, I just give a player like that so much credit um, for all the success that he's already had in his career um, and just an absolute workhorse in his prime um, with the Atlanta Braves that, you know, I just I give him credit for sticking to it and betting on himself along the way. And, you know, like he talked about how emotional he was just to sign the contract. Um, mm -hmm. He said being on the mound, that was the normal, easy part, Tim, of like what you were talking about. This was like his comfy, cozy spot on the mound. But he it, he was an emotional moment for him to sign the contract. So we'll see. And by a, the way, that was at 415. And then he pitched at 640, which is another part of my favorite, th you know, elements of his story. Oh, yeah. And he, did, he, he hadn't even met like half the team, I don't think, because I think everyone <laughs> like didn't know like what to do. <laughs> And Craig said, right, it's like it's like a, a, making a trade. And then the player shows up and you introduce yourself and you probably have more introductions after the fact. Um, yeah, I have to call counsel on that a little bit because he was he was like, oh, it's no big deal. It's like making a trade. The guy comes in and pitch. CC Sabathia did that. And it's like, <laughs> well, A, that was 15 years ago. And B, that was like the most epic 
arrival in the history of this franchise. So, (laughs) oh, man. Well, we uh, we have a lot more to get through. Um, Maybe the Brewers are finally turning. Hopefully, let's knock on all the things. Maybe, maybe possibly turning a corner with the injury front with some of the pieces that will be coming back. There are a lot of names to get through. uh, So stick around. We've got more to talk about here on Brewers Unfiltered. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brewers Unfiltered continues here, Sophia, Adam, and Tim. And guys, we spent a lot of time on that first segment talking about so many of the players that have come up and contributed uh, with the opportunity with so many injuries. Currently, just 14 players on the IL for your Milwaukee (laughs) Brewers. That's all. That's all. Um, And Adam, you had a note, I think, the other day that every position player on the 40-man roster – is right on the injured list or with the active roster uh, with the active team. Exactly. There are no, there are zero. Well, that was going to be my stat of the week, but now I've got, I'll come up with another one in my head right now. Uh, there are zero, uh, position players on the 40 man roster playing in the minors as we record this, which is just, I, maybe that's happened before. I can't imagine. I've, I can't think of the time. Well, and we, I mean, we use the word depth, I feel like, every day. And, you know, Craig will always say, like, this is just part of the season and you've got to roll with the punches and absorb it and do the best that you can. But, I mean, this depth is being tested in ways that I don't think we've ever seen on every front. But the good news is um, Willie Adamas is back on the field, started his rehab assignment with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, hit a home run. Great to see him smiling and looking like himself yeah. on the field, I think. And then so the plan for him, he will go to AAA. He'll play two games. He's expected to hopefully be back with the major league team for Thursday. And then Luis Urias, who suffered that hamstring injury on opening day. He's just had really tough luck getting his season started the last couple of years. Um, he's working his way back. And Craig shared with us he should be back at the start of the homestand when we get back. So those are pre two very notable pieces to get back. I think for Willie, obviously, best case scenario that he's back so soon. And for Luis, I mean, this this feels like you're getting a new player because we just haven't seen him. Um, so how, what do you guys think that means for kind of the rest of the infield and defensive mix? Well, I'll, I'll set the stage first just from like a roster management point of view. If I'm not mistaken, the the infielders with options are Miller, who's not going anywhere, <laughs> Toro, Monasterio, and Brasso, to say it the way Craig Council says it, Brasso. Um, obviously, Terang is one of them as well. Am I, I don't think I'm missing anybody there. I think those, so there's a lot of different ways that could go. That's going to be a really interesting call. Um and, and they'll have to make it. And the other thing I would say is I think 
fans underestimate uh, the Luis Urias impact because some of like the old baseball numbers aren't great. Like the batting average doesn't like jump out at you. It's the same with Willie Adamas. Um, but like when you look at kind of the advanced metrics, which is the way that Matt Arnold and the his you know front office sort of gauge the impact of players. Um, Weicho is a extremely impactful player with what he does all over the field and um, the nature of his at bats and the 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 slug he gives you. So that's a big deal, I think. Getting him back, I think it's been a little underrated his absence in what's happened to their offense and um, particularly because of this ongoing saga of not really doing any damage against left-handed pitching. And again, in this red series, what did we see the first day? A left-handed pitcher starting for the reds Um, teams that have lefties are going to make sure that they line up against the brewers. So I think this one has the potential if he's healthy and has his legs under him to be a, to be a impactful addition. Well, Urias is a career 281 against left-handed pitching. And if you could point to one thing that the Brewers have had trouble with, it is facing left-handed starters. That's plain and simple. They have a guy going today that was in double-A recently this season and most of April, and then it was in triple-A in May, and now it's June, and he's facing the Brewers. And the reason they do this stuff is because everyone knows now they have a better shot at having a young, inexperienced lefty go against the Brewers than a righty that's been around for a little while. So that's when they're starting to do this. You're going to see more teams do this. It's probably the right move. And you're hoping that Luis Arias, healthy um, and and hungry, right, to get back, will come and just be that parachute that they need. Because right now they just they don't know what to do. That's why they juggle the lineup so much. That's why they're trying to figure it out. Um, you need consistent at-bats against a lefty, a guy that can do damage. Luis Arias is that guy. If he's Come If he comes back and he's making that impact, um, again, if he can hit, he's going to be in the lineup every day. And I think that, too, it's like since Darren Ruff went down with that really brutal knee laceration Ooh. Friday night um, against the Reds, which is what opened the door for John Singleton, they primarily acquired Darren Ruff because of his career numbers against left-handed pitching. So yeah. I think they're betting, um, which hopefully you know Darren can get through his – knee situation and get back here shortly as well. But I think that's what they're betting on with Luis as well. It's just like the versatility with the defense and then, you know, the the numbers against left-handed pitching. And, and as you guys said, the Reds have a lefty Andrew Abbott making his major league debut here Monday night in Cincinnati. Um, so that, that will be an interesting matchup as they all get their first look at him. But um you know, Willie and and Luis are not the only players that are trending in the positive direction. Um, I think we're going to be jokingly, we, we might be talking more about uh, the Nashville Sounds <laughs> this week with all of the yeah. updates of the players on rehab assignments because Eric Lauer is going to make a rehab start Tuesday with the Nashville Sounds. Um, Jesse Winker will also be going out on rehab assignment with Nashville. So that's going to be great to get him back on the field as he's working his way back from the neck injury. And then Wade Miley, um, he's going to keep moving forward. He'll throw another bullpen at home. And then Sunday, we'll make a rehab start with the double-A team, with the Biloxi Shuckers. So you're looking at getting not just Willie and Weicho back, but Jesse Winker hopefully trending in the right direction, building up some at-bats and 
getting his neck situation situated. And then uh, I think getting um, Eric Lauer and Wade Miley, and I think Wade Miley is really encouraging. You know, the the initial timeline for him when he left that start against St. Louis, it was very nebulous. Uh, It was a six to eight week muscle strain, kind of an unusual baseball injury. And here he is. He might be back in four weeks at this point, barring any setbacks. So what do you guys think of, again, just especially with regarding the pitching staff, you know, getting Lauer and hopefully Wade Miley back in there? Well, number one out of all of this, I feel really bad for Jeff Paxson, the trainer in Nashville, <laughs> <laughs> and Doug Scopel, who's trying to figure out hotel rooms and, you know, jerseys and all this stuff. There's a lot. The clubby there, Matt Gallant. Like there's a lot of stuff, moving parts, and you start thinking about some of these players too. That you know they're going to miss a couple of couple of games because of all this, all these rehab guys. So um, it does you know kind of shake things up a little bit in a good way. Honestly, you know it's it's going to create a lot of buzz, and you get free meal every time a big leaguer <laughs> gets a chance to rehab. So I don't know. I'm I, out of everybody coming back. I, I'm really interested to see. Uh, Wade Miley, just because, mm-hmm. I mean, so quickly after he was injured, he was on the field playing catch. And we saw him on the bump in Toronto throwing a bullpen, and it was it looked good. Like, just watching his intensity um, and, and seeing uh, – I, I mean, I thought he was going to be closer uh, than he is, honestly, just by watching his throwing program and a couple of bullpens. So, anyway, I, I think that will be a big one because what he was doing on the mound for the Brewers was special. I mean, special. He was doing some big games out there. And um, anyway, to have him back and kind of bolster that rotation could be big. Yeah. And and he's hoping that it's like one, maybe one rehab start and then back. Uh, I don't know if that's just Wade's optimism talking or if that is the indeed the plan. But that seemed to be what was in his mind. Eric Lauer told us on Sunday that he's expecting that he'll pitch a couple of times in the minors. And he feels like the Brewers want him to show them a little bit show them some results because he said his recent, you know, in the big leagues, it wasn't very resulty. Like no one has a better, no one makes more of the English language than Eric Lauer. He's like (laughs) one of my favorite guys to talk to. So he might be a little bit um, in it. You know, I know, uh, look, I, I read, uh, I spent too much time reading social media. I understand people are very frustrated about Eric Lauer this year. Uh, He's very frustrated. That's a really good pitcher the last couple of years. When you're talking about your fourth best starter, um, that is a good arm to have. And, and if I'm a fan of this team, I'm rooting really hard for Eric Lauer to get back because you get Lauer-Miley, eventually Brandon Woodruff, he's going pretty slow when we're talking post-All-Star break. But to get those guys, that's the strength of this team. Like We've talked like depth. Sophia, you said it, depth is the word. It's almost like the, you know, remember when the Brewers used to have slogans every year? They don't really do this. Some teams still do. But it would be like this year. It would be like the 2023 Brewers depth, <laughs> like all hands the on worst deck. marketing slogan ever. <laughs> but, but like, I mean, that's been the story of this team and we've been covering it a lot. And as council, I think, told us yesterday or the day before, like that is like a huge story of this season. But like there's a limit to what you can do and they are at the limit. So it's a good thing to get some of these guys back. And I agree with Tim, like Miley could be a very big one because he was off to a really terrific start, um, was loving being here and part of this group. And if he can come back and deliver some of that again, that would be a that would be a big deal. And then get back to where the Colin Rays are like your depth again. Um, and Colin Ray's done a terrific job 
with the starts that he's gotten. And he's, he's almost always competed in every single start and given him a chance in that game. And huge credit to him for doing that. But when he is like your depth guy, that's, that's great. Um, and they're, they're getting back, they hope, closer to, uh, you know, getting, getting these, these main arms back in the rotation. Yeah, I think getting Wade back, and especially on a quicker timeline, I mean, he has been pretty aggressive uh, in terms of getting back out on the field. I think it was he took one week off from throwing. That was it. And then he was, like, chomping at the bit to get back out there. His bullpens have been great. Uh, He was joking in Toronto. He's like, I don't think I've thrown the ball like that since I was 12 years old. I might be hitting, like, 95 again. Like, he said he was throwing high 80s in his bullpen. So... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure Wade still has 95 in there. I'm not sure the Brewers want to find out if he still has 95 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in there. But um, I think getting him back on that quicker time frame is huge. And then I think Eric Lauer, you know, not being very resulty, um, he feels like he's in a much better place now physically and mentally. Right, Adam? He was talking about not being in that gray space anymore of he feels like he got some clarity of like, he can just go for it now. And and even what that might mean for him, say if he has to come back and pitch out of the bullpen like they had him before, or if they've slot him right back into the rotation. I just think he really got a lot out of this time, physically and mentally, of getting both shoulders right. Um, and I think maybe mentally putting some things away. So, yeah, we'll see... Uh, I mean, we're going to keep talking about this. <laughs> we're going to keep talking well, I, about I would the just, depth. I, would, I think the way I would put it with Lauer is like peace of mind. Yeah. Because, Tim, you you know more about this, but it's like he believes that a huge part of his game compared to other pitchers is conviction. It's big for every pitcher, I think, but Lauer feels like that's a huge part of his game. And he he didn't have the conviction because something didn't feel quite right. And he wasn't sure about, is my next pitch going to be the one that it blows? And now they've done a lot of testing. They figured out that it's this other shoulder that it's, you know, he's talked all about that, just getting looser up top and using his whole upper body. Um, and he feels like he's in a good place with that. But but mostly he has peace of mind that like everything's all right in the pitching arm. He can let it go. And he feels like he told us three to five miles an hour extra in his bullpens. So let's see that translate into games. And I think that's why he said he he understands the Brewers probably want him to show something before he makes it back. Well, I mean, just having peace of mind, getting the green light from the trainer and the doctors going, go for it, um, yeah. is huge. It is big for a pitcher. And honestly, you can't give up on a guy that's done what he's done the last couple of years. If you have to slow play it to get him back to where he was then, then do it. And if you know if it comes back in a couple of weeks or maybe it's a month, but either way, if you get a Eric Lauer from 2022, 2021 going out there and get, having him at the end of the season, it reminds me of, of um, when they got back uh, Adrian Hauser and had that amazing September in 2021. Like just that right there can bolster everything. It can absolutely send your team on a trajectory because starting pitchers have that power. And when they're healthy and they're good, they can they can take a game and and make it theirs and we've seen Eric Lauer do it before so good for them to get everything squared away play the long play and have him super healthy down the stretch when it matters most 
And I think for the Nashville Sounds and for the Biloxi Shuckers, they are going to have a great week of eating because these big leg, these big league spreads are are coming in. They're going to be eating like kings. Um, I'm sure Willie Adamas has been treating the kids well uh, in Appleton too, with the Timber Rattlers. So, so hopefully they're taking care of the uh, the younger brewers in the minor What's league. What's the system. go-to in Nashville for a good uh, a good big league spread? I mean, you could probably, I don't know, you could do a lot of stuff. I yeah. Mean, the, the spreads are already really good there. <laughs> okay. Um, it's more or less really when you're on a road trip. I remember uh, Mike Cameron was rehabbing once, and we had him uh, in Rosenblatt in Omaha, and he got everyone steak and lobster. We couldn't wait to get the game over. I think I remember hearing about that. We could yeah. not wait to get the game over with. It was one of the quickest games I've ever been a part of. A win, a, a win or a loss. It did. I, who knows? Who, who knows? <laughs> no. but we were in the. It's the smallest uh, clubhouse ever. It was you know where they had the College World Series, and it's it was old stadium, and the, the clubhouse, the Vision Clubhouse, was so small, and we were having steak and lobster, and they didn't even have real plates. He had to rent. Real plates. Mike Cameron went and got real plates, real silverware, and here we are, wow. we're shoulder to shoulder, and it was just everyone's just chewing, <laughs> like you're just big smile, and we're chewing steak and lobster in Omaha, and it was fantastic. And yes, I have no idea if we won or lost, but um, yeah, that's that's what you do. You're a big leaguer, and you know, hey, you don't have to do it, but there's some pressure there to to find a good spread. <laughs> that's that's big league. Well, I think I think the sounds are playing in Jacksonville this week. Mm-hmm. Ooh, so right. oh yeah, that's right, that's yeah. right. There, I think I think the guys are heading to Jacksonville, and then Wade is heading to Mississippi. Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi. Wade Wade will is? come up with some sort of barbecue situation, I'm sure. But I have I have full confidence in uh, in the in the guys delivering some good meals for for the minor league guys. So. Um, eating aside, we've got more to get through <laughs> here, on, <laughs> here on Brewers Unfiltered. Maybe we'll talk about our favorite meals uh, here in Cincinnati. But stick around for the finale here, Brewers Unfiltered. Guys, wrapping up Brewers Unfiltered here and Friday night when we arrived here in Cincinnati, it was Lou Gehrig Day across Major League Baseball. And so we had an earlier start time here in Cincinnati for a very good reason. And it was an awesome postgame concert by the Zach Brown Band, um, who unfortunately a member of their band does have ALS. And so it was a uh, a charity concert um, for ALS awareness. And um, I think it's a great thing that Major League Baseball has done just over the last three years now to celebrate Lou Gehrig Day and, and ALS awareness. And um, But we all we all stuck around for the, the Zach Brown Band show. We had a good time. There was chicken fried, uh, all the hits. Mm. We sang along. There were some covers. Um, so along you know those the lines. the best concert guy we found out? Josh Maurer. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was in it. <laughs> and, of course, Kent Sommerfeld took approximately one hour of video <laughs> from the radio booth. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to do with all those clips of Zach Brown singing, but if you see anything on YouTube, probably send the authorities to Kent Sommerfeld. Yeah, if you missed the show, Ken Sommerfeld recorded the whole thing for you. <laughs> Tim, if you if you missed your favorite song... Uh, we can we can provide video for you. Yeah, I'll let him airdrop that to me. We'll help him figure it out. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, well, we, I mean, we had a good time. We were singing along. Um, it was great. I mean, it was a great night. They had a huge crowd, more than 44,000 there for Zach Brown Band. But um, any favorite concerts come to mind, post-game, stadium-wise, or just in general? Well, I have not seen many stadium concerts because the ones that happen at Miller Park slash American Family Field, I feel like we're always on the road. My favorite concert that comes to my mind is a tiny venue concert, Trombone Shorty at Shank Hall. No, at, um, yeah, it's Shank Hall in Milwaukee, a tiny little venue. And he just went crazy and everybody walked out of there like drenched in sweat. It was the funnest concert I've ever been to. Well, it's hard to find concerts sometimes. It usually got everything going on during the summer and usually I'm playing baseball my whole life. So never really had to go a chance to go to too many concerts in general, but did see Foo Fighters at Summerfest. Ooh, that's a good one. I think oh, it was 20, 2012, maybe 2011. Either way, we were front row and it was amazing. And he, and they played for like two and a half hours straight. It was fantastic. Cause you know, every word, every song and it was, it was good. I did not know Dave Grohl was that good on guitar. That was the first time it dawned on me how good he was on guitar. Well, before we went on this road trip, I got to go to the Janet Jackson show at um, the amphitheater, the American Family Amphitheater on the Summerfest grounds, which was just awesome because it was I hadn't been on the Summerfest grounds in maybe two years. I don't know. It feels like a long time. Again, to Tim's point, where uh, it doesn't always work out for us to go to Summerfest. But it was just great. I loved I loved being at the amphitheater, being on the grounds again. Janet Jackson played all the hits. It was a fun show. Ozzy Timmons, Brewers hitting coach, was in attendance as well. Um, so that was fun. But uh, my my all time favorite. Uh, show. I know what you're. Gonna yeah, say. I already know. We uh, know exactly <laughs> what you're going to say. Why am I so predictable? Yeah, just say it. It's Taylor Swift. Of course. <laughs> Sorry. I know you guys can judge me. I don't care. No judging. I mean, you went to a, 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 an historic show, the opening of the tour, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. And this tour is like taking over the country. It's, I mean, ask Kurt, ask Kurt Hogue. Kurt Hogue, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, has sat in the press box in Cincinnati. He was sitting there on Saturday and Sunday in the queue to try to get tickets. Saturday's game was at four o'clock. Um, Sunday's game was at 1.40. So let's say, and they played a, a, a snappy game, two and a half hours. So the game ended at what, four? Was it, was it, what, we were like, what are you going to do? Are you going to jump in your car? Because he drove down here. So are you going to drive to Chicago? Th- like the time didn't work, but he's like, ah, just let me wor- worry about that when I get to it. So he sat there and he was like number 2,000 in the queue for tickets to, to Taylor Swift on Sunday night. It didn't work out. <laughs> Poor guy. Committed. Yeah, I actually did that. Uh, my wife and daughter went to the Taylor Swift, said it was amazing. I didn't realize how big of a deal it was. I thought it was something about baseball. I thought it was an ERA tour. It's it's an heiress <laughs> tour. I guess it's I guess it's like she's combined all her concerts. So anyway, I guess it's a big deal. And uh, no, no one's no judgy. It's supposed to be a good show. It it was. I I stand I stand by my statement. Um, we were also talking about great sports stories. We've had a couple of them. Uh, John Singleton, Andre Monasterio, um, Julio Tehran. I mean, all these great stories that we've had this week. Do you have a favorite sports movie, whether it's sappy or inspirational or like a comeback story? Um, anything that gets those sports juices flowing? 
Well, it's hard to beat Robert Redford bleeding in the batter's box. That's a pretty good one. But um, the one that gets me, and this is not just because we love Uke, the the Taylor Bunts in Major League, still, whenever that, that movie is on, that's one of those, like, if you catch it on the hotel TV, like you're staying up late to watch that movie again kind of movies, and the Taylor Bunts is, like, my favorite thing that, like, gives me little goosebumps. Mostly because it it's County Stadium. Yeah. Does it have to be baseball, though? No, it can be, be whatever. Baseball. Yeah. I'm going to say D2, the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. I can't help it. It's just, I can probably act it out. Um, but, yeah, the Flying V would never make sense in any capacity from what little I know about hockey. Uh, but I don't care. I'm That's what makes it great. It. it makes it, it's great. Great characters, and it's just absurd in the best way, and... I don't know, the cameos in throughout the movie, it's it's just good. It's my feel good. I mean, who doesn't love Charlie Bombay? I mean, ducks fly together, you know? It's just iconic. <laughs> it's iconic. Uh, one of the movies of my childhood. Um, for me, this one just always has a soft spot in my heart, but remember the Titans because... You know, my dad being a football coach, the daughter of Coach Yost, Cheryl, is like a prominent character. She's just sassy and she's into it and she's just so diehard. That's totally how I grew up was like at practices and at games. And I didn't really know anything different. And I just grew up around that. I grew up in that kind of, you know, sports team environment. So um, and it's, you know, true story. It's. It's a great story. Um, so, yeah, I've just I've always loved Remember the Titans. Here's another one just to throw it just to get away from the major sports. Cool Runnings. Oh, I oh, love. Yeah. Cool oh, Runnings. right. That's Giant a sneaky good movie. Yeah. So good. My favorite movie as a kid, though, was probably Little Giants. Do you guys remember that one? Oh, yeah. Icebox. Icebox. Icebox yeah. yeah. The little I I the, the little ragtag football team. Rick Moranis. Rick John Moranis. In yeah. That movie. Al Bundy. Yeah. It was a great one. Great one. All right. Add add that to your uh, Netflix queue, Adam. But um, all right. Wrap it up. Stat of the week. What do we have regarding the Milwaukee Brewers? Well, I was going to say zero, which is the number of times Tim said goodbye before disappearing from the booth at O'Malley's in the alley on Saturday night after the game. <laughs> Careful. Careful. Um, but I'm going to skip that one. Um, all of a sudden, there was an empty spot across from me, which was stunning. I said uh, I was leaving. Uh, my number comes courtesy of Mike Vassallo, and I'm sorry if I'm stealing it from Sophia, who I know shared it, but it's 45 which is the number of players who've worn a Brewers uniform already this season in two months of baseball. Uh, last year, they used 53 players all year. There have been seasons where they've topped 60 in recent years when um, you know David Stearns was, was managing that bullpen with guys up and down. So it's not, uh, they've got a ways to go to sort of get to a record, but <laughs> they're well on their way. And uh, there is a lot of baseball left. Well, I didn't think about a stat of the week, so I'm going to kind of steal a little bit from everybody. <laughs> and I'm going to say 10. Brewers are coming up on 10 years of having Devin Williams in their organization. And just, I just think that's great. He's a guy that's been around, had some adversity early on in his career. Uh, fast forward 2019, he's in double A, futures game. And then all of a sudden, we know what he's done since he's 
been with the Brewers. So pretty amazing stuff. Uh, he's, I think he's thrown 175 innings now for the Brewers in the big leagues. So 10 years of Devin Williams. Who knew? Well, that is a nice plug for my newsletter, Tim, which uh, comes out Tuesday. And there'll be a story on the site about the draft night party that Devin Williams had in 2013 when he thought he was going to be sort of an early first round pick. And he wasn't. (laughs) And how it all worked out in the end. It definitely did work out for Devin Williams. And I think it's definitely worked out for the Milwaukee Brewers. I remember... um, Devin Williams, by the way, hopefully a pending guest for the Brewers Unfiltered podcast. We'd love to get him to tell this story. But um, yeah, I remember when I first started, I went to Appleton to interview Devin as a prospect when he was with the Timber Rattlers. He was fresh out of high school. He was 19, maybe. This was pre-Tommy John, you know, pre um, his injury history, had to work his way back. Told the story, almost quit baseball. Um, fortunately he did not. So yeah, good on, good on Devin. Uh, one of the homegrown talents here on this team. My stat actually, Adam, I'm stealing from you, (gasps) (gasps) but I'm giving you credit for this one. 2,801 (laughs) days between John Singleton's games in major league baseball. Mm-hmm. 2,801. That's an insane number. You you had tweeted that um, regarding his return. And again, just crazy. And I still think it's just like the craziest coincidence that the day that he came up was the nine-year anniversary of his Major League debut in 2014 with the Houston Astros. So um, just big numbers. Very cool. And just part of a great story. So We love a great story. And he uh, gave us one over the weekend. We are saps for a great story. Um, Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's all we've got here for Brewers Unfiltered. Uh, We had fun discussing all of the things. Um, Thanks for joining us. You can follow us all at Dim Tillard, at Adam McKelvey, at Sophia Minert. Um, Of course, make sure you're following all of the Brewers social channels at Brewers. And we will talk to you next week from Milwaukee. Thanks for listening.